I'll do and welcome to the fourth episode of today's Loose Lips. This is the ninth feature installment altogether. So if you're new to this, Loose Lips is designed towards spreading good vibes, speaking with a wide range of people from all walks of life and looking to speak with them about their life and gain optimism. And right now we're going to be speaking with the natural balance, aka Kelly. We're going to be going through a lot of well-being. She's just sent me the request, so let's hook it up. Hey, hello. Eric! How are you? I'm good, love. How you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm all right. A bit nippy. I put hoodie on. You've got the pretty green hoodie. That's what's going oh, on right now. No, the sun's come out here now. I was in my hoodie, took it off, basking in the glorious sort of sunshine in my conservatory here. Good form. Well, the sun's sort of peering through. You can see it. Like, can you see it all biblical like that? Like they say, get, the sun shines on those who are righteous. That's what you need. 20 minutes of that on your face a day, direct sunlight, vitamin D. That's what Just you need. 20 minutes of interview, just like that? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, 20 minutes. Get your vitamin D. No, you do actually need that. You need the um, direct sunlight on your face, face and neck for 20 minutes without sunglasses. Because if you have your sunglasses on, when you basically, vitamin D gets them um, activated in your body, or at least they're converted in the body through sunlight. So if, and it goes in through your eyes as well. So if you have your sunglasses on, it means that you're not gonna be converting it. So you need to uh, make sure you get it, get it on your face directly. That is amazing. I'm always wearing my sunnies, so I'm probably missing out on so much, but what's the, what do you do to compensate that? For example, in this country, if we've not got a lot of sunshine? Um, so you really do actually want to be on a vitamin D supplement probably um, in the winter months. Normally in the summer, if you're outside, you're going to get, you know, enough sunlight. But vitamin D is a, a, what's called a fat-soluble vitamin. So it stores in the body. It lasts for a long time. But what happens, so if you get sun all through the summer, you'll probably be all right, you know, September, October. When you sort of get to November, December, January, February time, and you've not seen sun for, you know, months, it's probably a good idea, unless you're on medication, to probably be on a vitamin D supplement. Because vitamin D is so important for so many things in your body, for your immune system, for metabolism, for your bone health, um, that actually, if you're not getting enough of it, it, it it's, it's deficient in so many diseases. And I did actually see yesterday, there was a study that's come out about vitamin D deficiency and its links with COVID-19. And the impact of those who have suffered with or, you know, have been exposed to or, you know, contracted COVID-19 have actually had lower vitamin D levels than um, people that haven't. So wow. it's an interesting, and it's, I find that with a lot of vitamin D, I've noticed in a lot of studies that I've seen that actually um, it's not necessarily if you've got a disease and you take vitamin D, you're going to you're going to be fine. It's going to get rid of the disease. But being deficient in vitamin D can often be um, a triggering factor for a lot of diseases. So it's definitely worth getting a vitamin D supplement. I would say liquid drops are the best. You get like, you put it under your tongue. You can get tablets as well, but liquid sort of goes into the bloodstream quicker. Um, but unless you're on any type of medication, but usually vitamin D is quite safe for everyone. But yeah, I would suggest during the winter months, definitely get it in there, FYI. <laughs> You know what, right? 
one day I'm going to have a TV show. I can, I can just tell. Universe has just said, right, and you're going to be a regular featured guest because that is some <laughs> of the most explosive four minutes of conversation I think I've had <laughs> in this whole oh, thing. God. It's like for people who are watching, like, so, like, we've not even fully introduced what you do, but you've just gone straight in, and that's how I love, because that's how, it just came up naturally, and, but the way that you speak about it, like, it's, it's, it's obviously quite complex, but you do it in such a bite-sized way that's really conversational, and the way that you brought that down, it was just, it's very rare you don't hear me talking on my own chat show, and I was just absorbing it, mate, it was, that, that, was, really. that conversation was the equivalent of vitamin D. <laughs> yeah, there it was. Open the sun. Well, there you go. <laughs> Amazing. So, would you like to just give people a bit of a, a breakdown of what it is you do and your, your position and your title? Because you've got letters after your name and everything. And letters after my name, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, I am a nutritional therapist and also a yoga teacher. Um, so, what that essentially means is, well, most people know what a yoga teacher is, so I don't need to explain that. Um, but a nutritional therapist or a nutritionist is somebody that essentially looks at your um, diet, your lifestyle, and see where's, where there's something going wrong. So, say, for example, you've got a disease, you've got an illness. Usually everything stems from an imbalance in the body. So that's an imbalance of vitamins, an imbalance of minerals. Maybe you have had an infection. Maybe something, something you've been sick before. You've had, you know, um, you could have an autoimmune disease. And what a nutritionist does is they will find out where the imbalances are and they will rectify that through food. So as a nutritionist, I will do that naturally. Through, so through food, through supplements. Um, but as a, a nutritional therapist, we're looking at the body holistically. So that means I'm not just looking at what you eat. I'm looking at your diet, your lifestyle, how you sleep, what your energy levels are like, what your stress levels are like. Because it's almost like a cross between Eastern and Western medicine. Because Western medicine just thinks, right, there's something wrong with you. Um, I'm going to give you some medicine and that's it. There you go. You take the medicine and, and that gets rid of the symptoms. Whereas Eastern medicine like, looks traditionally, if you look at Chinese medicine, Indian Ayurvedic medicine, all of that, they look at the body as a whole and they realize that everything that goes on in your body has an impact on another part of your body. So if there's something that's not working, say for example, you have got, um, I don't know, IBS and you've got chronic you know, diarrhea all the time, the likelihood is that that's gonna, that imbalance in your gut is gonna lead to other problems because 70% of your immune system is in your gut. So if you've got something going on with your gut, that means your immune system's not gonna be working properly. So that means, right, actually what you need to do there is you need to solve the problem with your gut to yeah. stop other things happening. Because a lot of people have, you know, say you have IBS um, for years, you can end up leading to autoimmune conditions because um, your, you know, things leak out from the gastrointestinal system into the blood, there's the stuff that shouldn't be there, so the, the immune system mounts a response and says, right, I'm going to attack the body because whatever is in the body here isn't right. And so that's where things start to start to break down and become more problems. And that's where a nutritionist looks differently, these things, than, say, a doctor does. Because a doctor's very much right, you've got IBS. Well, they can't really do much for IBS, actually, doctors. But they'll be like, oh, we'll give you some pills and to stop the symptoms. Whereas a nutritionist finds out the root cause of a problem and fixes from the root cause. So it's very much a process of peeling back all the layers of whatever's been going on and wrong and you know why you've been ill or, or whatever and finding out the cause to then be able to build that up through food, nutrition, lifestyle. But what I was saying that it's holistic 
is that, you know, stress impacts you hugely. So if you're in a really stressful job, the likelihood is that stressful job is inhibiting your immune system from working properly. And, what and also, would you, sorry, and also would you say off the back of that, because people who are in quite a stressful environment don't really get to eat or they don't eat at the dinner yeah. time as well. So it's a, a, almost a double counterproductive way. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a huge factor. You know, I think when you are stressed, you either don't eat because you're running on adrenaline and you don't have time to think about it. You know, like if you, you know, you know, when you get to one of those days, it's three o'clock and you have not eaten because you've been running on adrenaline, you've been running on cortisol, or you'd be one of them people that eats their feelings, you know, so you're eating all the time. So then you go the opposite way and you might be just going for quick, fix, fast food, like, you know, sugar and caffeine, because yeah. that's what your body needs is the energy. So stress has such a huge impact on your immune system because it, um, it put, basically puts a lid on it. So that's why I find a lot of people that I work with, and this is just a general, especially in London, you get this. You get people who have really high stress jobs. They've got, you know, a million miles an hour lifestyle. They're out, you know, five nights a week. Um, they're doing really high intensity exercise. They're going, you know, doing HIIT classes, you know, three, four times a week. And their body is under so much stress mentally and physically that they don't necessarily get time to be ill. And then these people go on holiday and they'll relax and they'll stop all of this. The stress levels drop and then the immune system kicks in and they get ill. And that's why you know, people go, I always go away and I got ill on the first day of holiday. It's because your body is now having the time to fight the infections or you know, illnesses, disease, whatever has been, been suppressed while you've been stressed. So it's really important to look at the body holistically and look at your stress, look at your energy levels, look at your sleep. What's your sleep like? Because if your sleep's bad, sleep is the time of day when you restore your, you know, you repair your body. So if you're not sleeping and you're not repairing, you know, physically, you know, but also mentally, then you are just going to be ill, <laughs> you know, long and short of it. <laughs> well, I, uh, what, you know, your position, are you... Because you, you mentioned before the, the Western and the Eastern side of it. So are you aligned with the profession of doctors then in a sense of the information that you're giving? Because the two worlds seem like they could complement. You know, you want to obviously do the betterment of the nutritional side. And then also if there is any medical advice, you'd be seeking to like follow that through as well. But I feel like it seems like people generally would choose one or the other and that one would be the doctor because of just how we've been raised basically and almost how do you shift that uh, perception towards what you do because it everything you've said at the minute is, is it's almost like the way you're breaking it down no one's ever brought that down before to see the common sense behind it no one's ever really explained it like that to be like well actually yeah. those are the steps you you normally just think you're real you go and then that's what you do to get treated so i wonder how the two worlds merge well it is that's a very good point actually because um like i was saying you know i'm sort of what, what i do is called functional medicine so it's so you know traditional western medicine is what you call medicine is what you call allopathic and what i do is functional medicine or complementary medicine so it's a complementary therapy so it um it complements what is going already on with doctors and nhs now we, as I'm not a doctor by any means, you can become a functional medicine doctor where you, are, you, you get a doctorate in functional medicine. But what I do is I complement what is going on through a doctor. Now, is it, it's a bit of a weird boundary because there can be, um, 
there's a lot of discrepancies and there's a lot of um, conflict, but a lot of between complementary medicine and you know traditional doctors because they look at us like you don't know what you're talking about. You're not a doctor, but I look at them and I think, well, you're not looking at this person holistically as a body. Like to become a nutritionist, like a proper qualified nutritionist, you do have to go through a basic medical training. You have to go through um, biomedicine to learn how the body functions. Now, as that's why I, I just wanted, I enjoy being a nutritionist is because I can see and appreciate where something is going on with Western medicine, but I can look at it in a different approach holistically. So you can marry the two together, which is what doctors in generally in allopathic medicine don't do. They're very much like this is, I'm a doctor. You, that's where you're specialists in doctors, don't you? You've got like a gastroenterologist or you've got, um, you know, a doctor that deals in hormones, but you don't have a doctor that looks at the body as a whole. So that's why I find, you know, whenever I refer in clients, a lot of the time you're banging your head against the wall because doctors don't see that there's a connection throughout the body. So there's definitely been a shift now, I think, because, you know, health and wellness is such a huge um, field of, you know, everybody wants to know about health and wellness now, don't they? Even if they're just dipping their toe in it and drinking a green smoothie, they're definitely um, getting a little bit more interested in it. And doctors, you know, some progressive doctors are definitely starting to see the benefits of looking at the body holistically and also nutrition wise. But you think a doctor in a, what do they study for like five, six years? I think they get like maybe five to seven hours of nutrition training, which is right. bonkers because, yeah. you know, I can go to a, a, a client and I say, look, can you go get blood tests from your doctor? We're going to put, you know, I'm suggesting you these supplements and blah, blah, blah. Doctors will often be like, no, don't take them because they've never been trained in it. It's like me, you know, suggesting or like an osteopath suggesting to me something. I wouldn't know anything if they're right or wrong. So I would say no, because I don't know. Um, so it's, it's very much there's two, two very different schools of thought. Whereas in the West, in the East, sorry, you think, you know, Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, India, they do take more of a holistic approach. Whereas the West, we're so driven if you think about it by the drugs industry the pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical industry, yeah. industry why would they want to stop people taking drugs it would make so sense would it i think i think this is a, a real interesting point and a flag point that you're raising because at the outset you've both got the same common goal you've both got the same common goal which is the fact that you want people to be healthy and the best for their patient oh are you, are you, are you have you got me can you hear me? One second, everybody. We're just reconnecting. Can you hear me now? Hear me now? Hear me? Hear me? Yes, I can hear Yeah, you've got me. Yeah, Sweet, sorry, perfect. Sorry, That's all good. Um, yeah, so I, what I was saying is uh, from the outset, you both have the best interest, which is to get the best results for your client or your patient. Um, but it feels like th their view can be a bit more rigid uh, and, le and, le and, less, and less opening to other forms because they're so steeped in their previous practices, which how, how does, if, if, so except me if I was a patient, how do I involve you both? What if I was to, because the best outcome would be for me to have a, a nutritionist and a doctor and then a nutritionist, sorry, and a doctor, you both almost working together with my records to then 
find a balance for me to then have the right sort of supplements and medicine X, Y, Z. So how, how does that, how do we go forward in merging those worlds and forming that relationship? Yeah, I think you, I mean, you can do that in certain ways. Sometimes, you know, if you are working with a client, you will definitely want to speak to their doctor and advise them that it's a mutual client. That's what you would try and say is that this is our mutual client. Um, but some people, some just aren't receptive to it. So you've just got to realize that you're just going to have to work around that. But I think, I definitely think that things are starting to change and there's been a shift. Even in the last three, four years, I've seen that, you know, people are definitely starting to, uh, doctors and, and the medical profession are definitely starting to look at things slightly differently um, by taking a bit more of an interest in food and nutrition. So say, for example, you were diabetic, normally they would just be like, right, take some, you know, metformin and take some drugs or whatever. Whereas now they're definitely trying to educate people a little bit more on, you know, you don't have to be diabetic if you eat this or you reduce this. So people are definitely starting to, or the medical pressure is definitely starting to change it slightly. But you've got to remember, it's such a huge, massive money-making industry, but also there's so many layers. It's going to take years and years and years to get this. And I think someone said to me once one of my lecturers when i was studying that the nhs is probably like 20 years behind in what a nutritionist is because because our field is um not unregulated that's the wrong word but because our field is different we can be so much more progressive and we can change easier because we are um you know we're able to look at the scientific research and make an immediate um, yeah. change. Where You're not doctor, bound by the stipulations. Like, a doctor couldn't just read a scientific paper and be like, oh actually I read this paper, I'm actually going to tell you to do this because it would have to go through all the levels of you know, doctors, whereas a nutritionist can be like, look, this new information's come out, I'm going to act upon that and I'm going I'm to do this for you. So I do think there is a shift. I do think that it will start to, you know, in our lifetimes, it will, there will be a change and there will be much more um, of a, of a you know a communion between the two but I think what I think will happen is that nutritionists will end up having to either you know retrain or they will try and remake them what's the word make them become more of a different a higher standard or a different level so that they can be trusted more because even though you can be a anybody could actually be a nutritionist if you just did like an online course for like a week and say you're a nutritionist so that's why you've got to to, to become a nutritionist, a recognised one, you need to make sure that you're part of a proper governing body that's, you know, registered. Because you could honestly just do a nutrition course online and say I'm a nutritionist or, you know, as I did a three-year course in it to, to fully understand it. So is it, it's a bit of a, bit of a, bit of a long one to, uh, to answer there. <laughs> Sorry. Just no, no, no. Away, I get I? it. I get it. And I respect it. And I think like the, the sort of spotlight should be shone on the more, um, proactive measures that, that are, are be are possible to be taken so how do you then get on people's radar how how you know if i wasn't to know yourself personally or uh, you know our circles i wouldn't really have the exposure to be able to reach out i don't believe i don't think it's something that that's really like as simple as obviously you can google it and find things out about it but i don't think it's very prevalent in society as 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 important as it is mm. i mean as i say we've been chatting for 20 minutes and pretty much everything you've said makes so much sense mm. yet it's not presented 
ever in a way where it's digestible to take away and then be able to to act upon it yeah. so how do we how do we as society how do we look to further in that path well i, th I think a lot of that's going to come with well you think already now how many tv programs there are where they're talking about what not to eat or there's a scientist doing an experiment on your on something or other on the telly you always see those programs and i think that there's going to be a case of um it's going to naturally change as you know with, well obviously social media people start to see these things like like you probably wouldn't have known if unless i just you know if i just spoken to you about it but it's i think you know it will start to grow from a younger age and a younger age group because i think you know people starting to go through school now are taking more of an interest in nutrition you know think how jamie oliver changed his meals you know the school meals and people are aware of that like when we were at school you just ate burger and chips or chips beans and cheese because you beans yes yeah you know so now i think it's people are starting to be educated about nutrition from a younger le level or age sorry so from that i think it will be a, a generational shift but I do think that, you know, it's more and more in the media now, like the health and wellness industry is like a multi-billion dollar industry. You know, there is people there that are interested in, you know, there's this whole, you know, new phase of like women that just love to live in leggings and drink smoothies and go to yoga and expensive 30 pound fitness classes because it's a trend, you know, it's like health is the new luxury people enjoy wellness. I mean, I don't know what it's like where you are, but in London, you know, this is so massive that people, you know, you go out with your mates to a fitness class. You would never do that five years ago. You know, it wasn't a thing you did. Now it's like, we'll go to the fitness class, we'll get a smoothie afterwards, and then we'll go and get a blow dry or something. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's definitely more of a, um, it's definitely- Involved in a lifestyle. And it's a, it's a trend, it's a huge trend, and it's a huge luxury, you know? I remember I went to a, a talk on this, um, a couple of years ago and they were explaining how they were looking at trends in health and wellness and they were saying that wellness is the new luxury like it's not you know a couple of years ago 10 years ago people were, well they still are materialistic but you think now people want experiences because once you've got everything already you've got your handbag or a designer car or your nice house what do you want next you want that gucci trip to thailand where you're going to be stuck on a juice detox retreat for a week and spend four grand on it because you're going to have a nice time you know it's like a it's it's a it's a new type of luxury to have and people love that people love spending money on things that are going to make them feel good don't they and if you could if you could have someone that's going to do that for you whether they put you on a yoga retreat and you know you're going to get gold collagen smoothies and facials every day people love that you know so it's definitely it's definitely more in the mainstream now than it ever was, I think. I think what's uh, the term you've used there is luxury. And I think what's what's crazy is that really the health should be paramount, but we do treat it as a luxury. Yeah. And I was wanting to lead on to this. Do you think a lot of it comes down to cost? Because mm -hmm. uh, maybe the size of the, the diet, uh, some of the food or um, the certain types of food, the fruit, the, the you know the, the 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 cost is very much incremental in the way that people earn and live. So, do you find that that sometimes has a barrier to how people will step into into it? But then, how, how I also want to flip that is, 
people will still find money to spend on other things. And it's how do we reassociate and balance what is essentially not a luxury and should be seen as a necessity? Completely, completely good point. It is a luxury. A nutritionist is a luxury. You're not getting a nutritionist on the high street for, you know, 20 quid an hour. They are, a nutritionist is, is expensive. It is a complementary therapy, sorry. Um, so yes, it is, it is a luxury, luxury. And I think you're completely right there on the whole sort of, you know, bad food is, good, is cheaper. You know, there's no doubt. If I, you know, I'm suggesting to my clients, you want to eat organic because of the quality of the food and the lack of the pesticides, the more nutrients you're getting in there. You're not going to get, you know, a low income family that are able to afford to live like that. And that's why I think we struggle is because, you know, you go into a supermarket and probably what, 80% of the aisles are packet goods. There's probably mm. what, two, three aisles of fresh goods when it should really be the other way around. But the fact is people go for what's cheap, they go for what's easy and what's convenient because that's what is available to them and that's what's at eye level. When I think, you know, you're, it, it's a shame because, you know, it is very much, like I was saying, it's a luxury, it is a luxury. You have to be in a position of, you know, perceived wealth or in a position where you have the money to be able to buy food that is good for you in a sense, if you want good quality. Now you could go to Asda and buy loads of food, fruit and veg and, you know, for, for cheap and it's fine, but you've got to think then, it's almost like I'm creating a stereotype here, which I don't want to do. But if you're on a, you know, a middle or a low income family and you're trying to feed a family of five, are you going to be wanting to sit there and make a whole big, you know, vegetable curry or something like that? Or would you, if you could, and you could buy five pizzas for five quid, you know, but, you've got a, there's a balance. This, this is what I, and I completely agree. And I think that's how it's been painted. But I do believe if we were to just say that there's a hundred pound there to spend, there could, that hundred pound, if the education is explained properly, I do think that families from all incomes, but especially lower incomes, you know, I'm from Bradford and uh, essentially they would be classed within that, that category. But I do think that if parents knew where they'd spend an extra five, 10, 15, 20 quid on the better stuff, knowing that what's going into their children is better and then maybe hold back some on other things. But again, I just, I think one of the main reasons I want to speak with you and, and maybe as we conversing, we might be able to find different ways, but I don't see it as a luxury. I see it as how do we get a spotlight onto shining a light onto the area of expertise that you have, because there's such a wealth of knowledge that I think is almost hidden from, from people and it needs to be highlighted and exposed so that people can then at least make their own decisions yeah. that what their intake is essentially down the line is going to impact them. Yeah. But I think that you do, it doesn't, eating healthy doesn't have to be a luxury. The luxury of say organic food is a luxury. You don't have to be eating organic food. I think if, What's, what it's down to is education and, and not knowing, you know, not knowing what you can eat, not knowing how to eat healthy and, and provide for your family in a healthy way. Because, you know, so many of us, we grew up in an era where everything a lot was, you know, ready meals or, I mean, that's what I lived on until about five years ago. Crispy pancakes. I, I didn't grow up like this. You know, I used to, I, I was a can't cook, won't cook person. I could not cook until I started getting into nutrition for my own health reasons. Um, so it is completely doable because I could barely cut an onion five years ago. I mean, I'm, hard, I'm not a cordon bleu chef by any means now, 
but I definitely, you know, take a massive interest in food. And, and I think where, where the issue here is education. So my advice would be that if you are someone that wanted to take an interest in your health and what you can eat healthier is real food is the absolute go to like you want to eat real food by that mean think what would your grandparents eat they would have eaten food that came from the ground where it had been grown by like by the earth they wouldn't and if you have to eat this my world i always say is if you have to eat something that you can't pronounce then you shouldn't probably eat it if you if it's a chemical if there's something that you don't understand on the back of a packet that's not that shouldn't be going in your mouth so the best thing i would suggest to do is and this is how i started was just like internet 15 minute meals just google them 15 minute recipes or you know like jamie oliver jamie oliver does like five ingredient recipes or something like that and just start small because i used to be so overwhelmed when i went into a supermarket and i just didn't know what to get because i, I didn't know what to cook i couldn't cook so i was like well I, i'm not going to walk around i don't know how to make something healthy because i have no idea how to so i just ended up I've got the first thing I've got was deliciously Ella, deliciously Ella cookbook, and I got given it as a present. And I so I started making some recipes. And you know, you go to the shop and you buy what the recipe says, and then you learn to make it. And you do it once, and then the food tastes all right. And you think, oh, okay, I could do that again. <laughs> you know, so it's just small steps. I mean, deliciously Ella is probably not a good example because she sometimes has that like, really exotic ingredients that you know most people won't know what they are. But, you know, Jamie Oliver's 15-minute meals, Joe Wicks, those um, Lean in 15. You just want a few simple ingredients to learn how to cook. And when you start being able to do it a few times, then you get your confidence up in the kitchen. I know it sounds ridiculous, but when you were someone like me that just couldn't cook, you just go into the kitchen and freeze because you're like, I don't know yeah. how to cook anything other than like a pancake, <laughs> you know? Or also at the supermarket when you're on the aisles and sometimes you get a bit lost where you're looking for certain, following certain recipes and you, you, you don't know what a kale is or some, something that yeah. bad, do you know what I mean? Like the difference between kale and spinach or what have you and you're like, it throws you and sometimes you feel a bit embarrassed to ask and, and oh, yeah. Really? You mean there's, like, there's vegetables that, I mean, I didn't eat until I was well into my 20s, late 30s, late 30s, my early 30s, <laughs> you know, so... I would say if you are in that position and you're just like, I don't know what to eat, just Google. BBC Good Food Guide is one of my favourite ones because they always do like easy recipes. Oh, and what I used to type in was like 15, 20 minute meals. And then you just buy what's on there and you make them. You know, I'm not making a Sunday roast for 12 people here. I'm making like, you know, food that I can cook and, you know, have for lunch the next day. That's the best advice as well I would give is, is always make extra because... I suppose it's a bit different now that we're in lockdown. You know, we're not just popping to the shops and buying a pret or, you know, itsu for lunch or, you know, eat a packet of crisps. Batch cook food. That's the best thing you can do when, you, um, when, when you're in a situation like this. Or even if you're not, cook big things like, you know, curries, stews, like casseroles that you can keep in the fridge or freeze and then just defrost. That, and, you, and you get so much food in there, so many nutrients um, that are going to be it means that you're going to have a healthier lunch than if you weren't to do that, you know? So that's one of the, the best things you can do really cook double, have it for lunch. <laughs> How do you think lockdown will be affecting people? Cause it should be really giving people more time to develop a bit more and get a bit more into the cooking. It's interesting uh, what you just said there about making a bit more so that you have that because I tend to find that if people are in a rush, at least if they've got that, they know that they can eat. But 
can you yeah what where where do you see this current situation how do you think that will be impacting people's uh food intake i think i've seen it both ways i've seen people um eating really healthy because they've had the time to cook and then i've seen others that are just turning into alcoholics <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like a lot of people are just sort of just doing that route i think i myself was guilty of it at the beginning of lockdown i thought now i can't be doing this <laughs> um, too early for have a bottle of wine in my own um, but I do think that um, it's gone both ways because I mean you look on Instagram the amount of people that are putting up food they've been you know knocking up because they've got literally nothing else to do but then I think that's also been you know I've spoken to people and it's causing them quite a lot of anxiety when they look and see that other people mm. are doing all this amazing stuff and they can't do it and they don't know what to do and then you feel guilty and, and mm. you feel guilty because you've not ran 5k and donated to the NHS and mm. then you then you, you, you sort of, people are getting themselves worked up. And if you're the sort of person that is a little bit, you know, anxious and you get, you know, you can get emotionally triggered by seeing what other people are doing online, it can cause a bit of an issue, you know, especially for food, for exercise and all of that. And, you know, if you're living on your own and you've only got yourself to talk to all day, that's going to be a big one. Um, so I would say, you know, it's definitely gone both. Some people haven't, but try not to beat yourself up about it. But the, I, what I would say is use this time to experiment because so many of my clients that I've seen have said, oh, you know, I've had time to cook now. Normally I'd be, you know, getting home at eight o'clock at night. I can't be bothered to cook. Um, whereas now actually they've got the time. So if people are getting into it and in myself, you know, I've made things I would have never thought I've made or, you know, spent time to do things you would never normally do because you're too, life's too busy, isn't it? So it's almost like pull your finger out, go to the shop, Get that 15 minute meal that I said and make it, make double portions so you can have it the next day as well. <laughs> how, how do, um, off the back of that, how do you think people, when life will quicken its pace back up, how do you see or advise people to still maintain the air of what they're doing now, the practices that they're doing now? Because mm -hmm. Even in the 30-day theory, like, you do things for 30 days and it becomes a habit. Things must become in a real habit of goodness for people mm. now. And I'm just a bit concerned or maybe wary that people might just go, this is one thing I'm asking, is this pause or is it reset? That's something that I'm asking a lot of people. Oh. And on the back of that, do you feel that it's, it'll be people going back to their old habits? So how, do, how are they to still implement what they've been doing in this time because they've had a bit more time yeah. but they're making that better for their for their wellness how yeah. do they then transfer that when life gets a bit busier how do you see that working out well i think you're right yeah like the the creating a habit potentially but i think what we're going to see realistically if, well if i think of what sort of who I'm thinking of, like my mates, <laughs> you know, not necessarily the wider community, but if I think, you know, generally people in their 30s that are used to going out a lot, at least, you know, seeing their mates all the time, probably got into a good routine, you know, a lot of people exercising, you know, way more than they ever would have before, eating healthy food. When lockdown ends and they say, right, you can see your mates, I bet you most people are going to be going out boozing seven nights a week. <laughs> and they're probably going to be cutting back on all the healthy food they've been eating, possibly. But on the flip side, you know, when you, when what people have been doing now is possibly making a lifestyle change. And that's what I always advise to people is you're not, don't go on a diet. This is not a diet. Diets normally have an end date. 
lifestyle changes how you are able to stay healthy and sustain that you know health so i think you know it what could be good is that people are learning to cook maybe a little bit more than they're used to in lockdown um and hopefully they take those skills into post lockdown but i mean likelihood is not gonna happen anytime soon so this could they could all be like you know amazing chefs at the end of it um but i would say that it's it's going to be a hard transition because people will start to go back to work and life gets in the way and when you know a lot of a lot of people i've spoken to have got you know up to three hour commutes a day and sometimes in london you know so at what point when you go back to having to do a three hour commute do you want to come home and cook a dinner and that's where i think things like batch cooking are really valuable mm. if you've got stuff already in your locker so that you know you can um you can rely on that when you come to it but i do, I do think that it's going to be a struggle if it goes back quickly but at the same time it's probably not going to go back quickly so trying to stick with habits that you've learned because another thing that i find is when things start working for you so say you start eating healthier say you start exercising more you're sleeping better you've got less stress you feel better so when you've had that for, for a prolonged period of time you don't want to go back to how you felt before mm. in sleep when you felt you know fat you were just like overweight you just had no energy and all of this, you start thinking, well, I don't want to go back to that. So mm. people are more likely to change their perception, or not perception, they change their mindset, sorry, of what they're going to do when they go back. And, you know, a lot of people I've already spoke to, are like, not going back to my old job, having this time out has made me realise that, you know, I don't want to do that, I don't want this commute, I don't like how I feel, I don't like the stress. Um, so I think a lot of that, people are using this as a time to just, like you said, well, definitely reset. Um, and, and make some big changes. So there's either going to be a lot of jobs on the market when we come back when people are quitting. <laughs> so, you, so. you said you said something interesting there, which was life gets in the way. And I definitely have heard that term before. But when it, when when I hear someone else say it, it makes me think that it shouldn't get in the way. And I know like it's just the term of phrase, but people do look at it like that. And I wonder like it's not like it gets in the way it's that it's the only thing that there is so it's like it's how again people look at the two sort of uh different ways you know it's like that commute for example i you can completely empathize with the fact that they're getting up at a crazy hour we've just been working all day they're getting home like after that commute like there's nothing else that you'd want to do than other just chill so you can understand that but the 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 real factor is that that's not best for them it's not going to yeah. benefit them in the in the long run with their health so it is crazy like life gets in the way but it, it yeah yeah it just made no, me just something that stuck out and really like when you said that it really made me like just the, the the cogs were turning internally but that's part that's part of creating the whole routine and you know life gets in the way you've got to make time for stuff you know which is hard and it's easier said than done you know we're all guilty of it like oh, i'm gonna do this every day and you never do it you know once but i think that you know, if you are the sort of person that is, you know, you're taking stock of your life right now, and whether that's through what you're eating or your job or your exercise, you have, you, when you wake up every morning, you have a choice of what you do that day. So if your choice is we all, you want to do that, you have to make that work for you. Now, if you're going to sit there and think, right, this is not happening, I don't like doing this, don't whinge about it, make that change and make that choice. And I think, you know, like I was saying, as a nutritional therapist, you're looking at people holistically, mind, body, soul, which includes, you know, stress, energy, sleep, work. If I have a, a client and they're working, you know, sometimes I get these people, they're working in hedge funds until like 
two in the morning and I'm like is that what you want to do with your life like are you finding benefit from that and are you finding joy from that because if you are great keep carrying on but if you're not that is seriously impacting your health and do you like it enough to have an impact on your health that much you know so it's not I'm not saying to them quit their job but it's also I'm, I'm, in a way I'm saying to them you have to make a choice here, a decision, because your health, once you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Exactly. So is it going to be to the point, you know, when you get 20 years down the line and you're really ill, you're stressed, you've got chronic fatigue, you've got fibromyalgia, you've got fat and got diabetes because you're not even looking after what you eat. Is that worth it? You know, because, you know, if you're, if you're working for a company where they're working you to the bone, you've got to think, are they thinking out, looking out for you? No, the long term. For you. So if you're work, if you're commuting 20, 30 hours a week, that's pretty, pretty much 10, 20 hours a week, sorry, and then you're you're stressed and you're working long hours and you're not eating food, is that what you want to do? Mm. No. So I would say to people, look, you've got to take that into consideration when you're looking at your health. And food is a big important part of that. Sleep is a big part of that. Stress levels are a big part of that. So you've got to really make a decision when you wake up in the morning is this the life you want? Because if it isn't, then you need to make a change. You know, there's no point in carrying on. Do you feel that we take health for granted? Because no, a lot of what you just said there is uh, long-term and, and everything you said made sense, but in the short term, you don't really consider that really, do you? So do you think we take health for granted? 100%. And you take health for granted when you're healthy. When you don't take it for granted is when you're ill. And that's, you know, you might, you know, a lot of us, you know, we all think we're invincible through our 20s. We do things we definitely probably shouldn't have been doing. But, you know, if, as long as you not keep doing all these things you're doing in your 20s, then you can probably get away with it. But you think if you continuously just hammer your body with toxins, um, you're going to end up something coming out the other end of something bad. And I'm not saying you should be a saint and an angel and, you know, never have a um, you know, never get pissed, never go out partying, never stay up for three days, because that's what life's about, is enjoying it and having fun. Like, don't get me wrong, I still do that. <laughs> but what you don't need to do is do it all the time, <laughs> because that's where you start to get problems. And, you know, that's, it's, it's going to lead to mental health problems as well as physical problems. And I completely think we take our health for granted, because most of us, you know, you are quite invincible when you're in your 20s. You can stay up, you cannot eat, you can, you know, just live off fags and coke and you're probably all right for a little bit but it's when you start to get um ill when you, you carry on doing this and that's when you know you look anybody that's had any sort of accident or you know you think of an old person when they fall over and break their hip they're fine before that and they break their hip and then they're completely immobile or they just their health just completely deteriorates because they can't look after themselves and that's when you don't take it for granted and that's why i always think you know live for today as my dad always says with an eye for tomorrow so live for now and you know make the most of it as you can but remember there's going to be consequences down the line and you have to decide do you want to get to that stage where you know you've smoked 40 a day and then you've got emphysema in 20 years time or do you think, right, well, I can have a fag every now and then, but actually I don't want to be on a ventilator and carry an oxygen bottle around with me because I've smoked 40 a day for 40 years, you know? Do you find with the, I'd say the last three, four, maybe even five years, 
the conversation around mental health has definitely become a lot more prevalent and a lot more acceptable in discussing. But a lot of the symptoms, would you put that down to uh, the almost the taking health for granted and the external factors of what we what we are doing, or would you put it down to um, would you put it down to the fact that we're just a bit more engaged with specific terms? So maybe the 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 ills of mental health were still around, you know, decades and and you know years ago, but they really didn't know how to uh, give a terminology to it yeah. where where we could process how to overcome it. Absolutely, and I, I completely I, yes, that's absolutely a fact. But there's there's a I think it's been more prevalent, and we've been talking about it more. We're more open to it, so that means that people are more likely to engage in discussion around it and bring it up. But there is also biological reasons for it. There's absolutely, you know, your neurotransmitters are what, you know, impacts your mental health. You know, you've heard of your serotonin, your dopamine, your GABA, all of these things. Now, the, you can have um, imbalances in them. You know, people who are chronically depressed or that have, the, there is a, a chemical imbalance there. And that can be whether you're born with it or that can be something that is, um, that comes about through stress. That's something that comes about through environmental toxins. So whether that's something, you know, whether that's drug abuse, alcohol abuse, smoking, all of these things that deplete nutrients in the body. That there is, I think now, as we're starting to become more aware and talk about mental health, because it's more in the media, you know, I think what really pushed it was, you know, when Prince William and Harry did a lot of their, um, their stuff a few years ago that made it really really mainstream and now people are talking about it all the time which is fantastic i do think in the past it was just you know it was put a lid on because people yeah. didn't understand it um and now there's been so much research into it knowing that you know your mental health is as important as your physical health whereas before we just didn't know that so i do think that it, it's important that you look at it again holistically because it can be a, a fact that you, you're not eating the right foods, or you're, which are going to mean that you're depleting nutrients, or there's been an imbalance. It can be that you've got digestive problems, which means that you're not absorbing the vitamins and minerals you need to make your neurotransmitters to, give you, to make you feel good. You know, I think 30% of your serotonin is made in your gut. And serotonin is your happy hormone, what makes you feel good. So if you've got, you know, serious issues going on in your gut, you could then also, that could be leading to, you know, some sort of mental health problem because you have got an imbalance there. So you've got to think it's all connected. Like you're saying, it's all completely connected. But it is really important to, to look at it, like the whole body holistically, I think, with it. <laughs> How, uh, because when you were mentioning the gut, what got me thinking is uh, about chakras because I know that there's one position there. So how do you overlay the two worlds? Because obviously if you're doing yoga and looking more into the spiritual outlet, um, for me, the, 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 the two worlds are completely like indoctrinated, like the one of the same. It's just terminologies are different experiences of how we go into them. So how do you view, I mean, does our diet our nutrition does that help with the chakras or is that more uh things more like where meditation like, and and that side of it I, I wonder if uh yeah our nutrition has an impact with with the betterment of our chakra and our Absolutely. auras do you think the the chakras are essentially the sort of like the energy points where they're connecting through your your nadis which are like you know the indian version of the energy lines but they run along the same lines as the meridian lines from chinese medicine and acupuncture 
So you think you're in acupuncture, you are releasing energy uh, or stuck energy through needles that are connected throughout the body. And all of that is runs along pretty much the same lines as, um, as, as the energy channels for your chakras. So you think in Chinese medicine, they do a lot with um, the elements, you know, earth, wind, well, that's earth, wind, fire. <laughs> Captain Planet. Yeah. And um, so they, a lot of that is, they look at the body very holistically again. So if you've got blocks in, you know, Chinese medicine, they'll look at your, your liver, your, your spleen, your, your chi, your life force. And a lot of that can be impacted through your food. So it's similar with Ayurvedic medicine, when they look at your, your doses, when you've got the, you know, your um, vata, pitta, whatever it is that you've got um, going on there. So you're boosting through the diet, the imbalances that you have through Ayurvedic medicine. Or likewise, when, you're, um, when you have something with Chinese medicine and you're looking at the, the meridian lines, you're doing the same thing. You're either trying to boost stuff through food. So say you have too much, um, or too much damp in your body through in, in like Chinese medicine. They say you have damp. You would try and boost that with foods that do opposite, that bring a bit more fire in. So, you know, spicy things or things that have got a kick to them. Ginger. You know, because it's, you're trying to balance it all out. So it is very much connected with um, the body physically and spiritually. And, that, you know, you can look at that on different levels because some people are really into spiritual side of things and, you know, are really receptive to it. So really, um, really feel something from it, whereas some people just completely don't. So you could, um, you know, I think you have to be open for a lot of that stuff to work together, you know. I mean, I've had acupuncture a lot when I was at college and that was to to help with my digestion and my gut and I found that doing it they're putting you know needles all over you and I just didn't understand why would you be putting something in my wrist to help with my stomach you know but it's all the lines that come up into the body throughout the body is all completely connected that if you've got any imbalance the same with Reiki any imbalance you know there's an energy blockage there you need to um, remove that blockage and it's the same thing because our cells store energy. You know, you think every cell of our body makes energy and it stores energy. So if there's a blockage in there through an emotional blockage, but then there's also a blockage in there from um, something you've eaten, or not, you're just not like physically eaten, but you know, so the way that your body has been absorbing nutrients and eating, then it can all completely impact you. So it is, I think, like I said, you have to be open to it, receptive to it, understand that, you know, for some people this is just not a thing that they'd be interested in. But for a lot of people, you can really massive marry the two up. From the, that's again, that's the Chinese and the, the Western medicine and the Eastern medicine marrying it all together. So absolutely. <laughs> this has been fascinating. Uh, I, I, honestly, I feel like I could talk about this for hours. It's proper. It's <laughs> like it's just this funnel of just information. Just mm -hmm. um, the final one from me then is: Is there any common society traits where we, what I'm thinking is, you know, when we predominantly people are overworked and they're always trying to catch up, is there any general generalities of what traits are in society where we can tell where we need to be looking at our health? For, for example, if we are feeling a bit lacklustre, a bit unmotivated, tired, is there, is there, um, without diagnosing an individual, is there common set? societal society trends 
Yeah, absolutely. I'd say poor sleep is one of the biggest ones. So if you're not sleeping or you're, you wake up in the night or you have trouble going to sleep, that's a big one that there's something going on. So you need to look at, you know, your stress levels hugely, but you need to look at what you're eating, um, your diet, so obviously your diet, but you know, exercise, are you, um, if you're really stressed, like I was saying earlier, you know, if you're really, really stressed and you're putting a lot of stress on your body through exercise, that's again, gonna have an impact on the immune system and dampen it down. So look at your stress levels, you wanna look at your sleep. If you're waking up in the morning and you're exhausted, you need to work out why that is. And is that because you hate your job and you don't wanna go, in which case get a new one, actually just get a new one. Or is it because, you know, throughout the day, you're not fueling your body properly with the right foods? You know, you want to be getting, my, this is my top tip, seven to eight vegetables a day and two to three pieces of fruit. So if you're not getting that in your diet, you're not giving your body the best opportunity to be healthy, to have a nutritious diet. You know, can, so I ask you, a, can I ask yeah. a daft question? Um, it might seem daft, but it is like a legit, no genuine question. question. <laughs> Um, when you say seven bits of vegetable or two bits of fruit, can it be the same vegetables or could it be just like seven bits of cauliflower or does it have to be like different bits mixed with like broccoli and tomatoes? Does it have to be a mix or could it be the same? You want to mix because you want to aim for 30 different types of fruit and veg a week because all the, fruit, all the food you eat has bacteria on, right? And your bacteria goes into your gut and your whole gut is based on bacteria. You've heard of like your gut microbiome and good bacteria, bad bacteria. So you want to get as many different types of bacteria in your gut to give it the best chance of being as healthy. Because remember, the bacteria in your gut is what's going to help the immune system. 70% of your immune system's in your gut. So if you're just eating the same fruit and veg, you're just eating, all you eat is carrots and all you eat is apples, you're only getting that one type of bacteria, but also that one type of fiber and the one type of phyto, what we call phytochemicals in there. You want as big a variety as you can possibly get. Because the more variety, the more protective chemicals you get in there. So I was saying with these phytochemicals, these are compounds that protect the plant from bugs, viruses, infections, the anti-tumor, antiviral. And these, all these compounds transfer to humans and they protect us. So you think like, you know, onions and garlic are the best example of this. They're antiviral, antimicrobial, antibacterial, anti-tumor, anti-cancer, everything. So they transfer to the human body. That's why you want to get a big variety of everything, because the more types you eat, the more protection you are getting. They are essentially nature's multivitamins. So you, you, know, you think, get as many colors and types and different, as, different many types as you can, many different types as you can, to get the most optimum um, benefit from them. Because you think, you know, when they used, we always used to think five a day, didn't you? You used to say, oh, you know, you want to get five yeah. a day. Five a day, they've changed it now, because five a day is was going to prevent you from you know, being dead, essentially, because you need the vitamins and minerals to survive. Why you want to go for 10 now is because that is what's going to give you health. So there's a difference between surviving and being healthy. People want to be healthy. You want to, you want to be op have the optimum health. You want to live healthy, right? So that's why you need to get more fruits and vegetables in there so that you are above that level of being sick. Five is to stop you getting sick, but to thrive, you need five, you know, 10. So that's why you want to go two to three fruits, the whole fruit as well, so you get the fiber in there, and seven to eight vegetables. Now, it sounds like a lot. You know, if you, a lot of people, so many people don't get that a day. You could be less than five, you know, because if you have cereal for breakfast, say you have a sandwich, cheese and ham sandwich for lunch, 
then for dinner you might have i don't know if you have a pizza you might get a couple of vegetables on there that's maybe like two vegetables there's nothing in there that's nutritious that's going to feed you so you want to be going for seven to eight vegetables and vegetables are more important than fruit because they they don't have the same effect on your blood sugar so going for seven to eight you build up to and you get stir fry you can easily get five vegetables in there it's quite easy you know and you're nearly halfway there so absolutely go for that that, that would be my um, my uh, top tip and water two the, liters a day the final one and there's probably a, a minute to get this in right. so yeah. Uh, someone's put shout out to Dowd, one of my boys. He's put, how about if you fall asleep immediately after eating? And I get that sometimes. I feel really lackluster after I've eaten, and rather than it giving me energy to be productive, I tend to have a nap. <laughs> it depends on what you're eating. So a lot, you know, when you eat food, naturally digestion takes up a lot of energy. That's why you fall asleep after Christmas food, Christmas dinner always, because your body, all that energy goes to your digestion. To, to work it so you will naturally feel a little bit um more tired after you eat but if you're genuinely falling asleep it could be that you're eating something either you may be slightly allergic to you know a lot of things that, common things like gluten dairy this type of thing can make you feel a bit more full if you're having what's called a refined carbohydrate so anything sort of pasta or um anything uh, like a pasta or a pizza that type of thing bread can make you feel a little bit tired but if you are falling asleep after food Try and eat your food slower, so chew it more. Try not to drink water or like gulp uh, like liters when you're eating food. You want to have that away from food because you want the digestive juices to be able to break down the food. Um, and make sure you're getting your, your fruits and vegetables in there because it sounds like you could be, unless you're eating a lot of protein. So, you know, if you get like meat sweats after you've had a barbecue, <laughs> um, that's often again because it takes a lot of energy to break down meat. Protein is, to, is harder. And that's why you feel full for longer if you eat protein. But if you're falling asleep after, then maybe you're eating too much or you need to eat slower or get more vegetables in there because vegetables, you shouldn't, if you eat more veg, you're not going to be feeling like that. Perfect. That was, that was, that was exhilarating, Matt. Would you like to uh, give people information where they can find out a bit more about you and where we can uh, keep up to speed with, like, your information and your work? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So, well, you can get me on Instagram. Um, it's the natural balance with an underscore at the end. Um, so you can catch me on there. Um, I'm, I'm putting videos up on there, bits and bobs, chatting. And I've got, uh, if you want to do yoga as well, because I do my yoga and my meditation. So... Do, I do a yoga class every Tuesday, 5.30 to 6.30, which is on um, Instagram. My yoga's a bit, not spiritual, it's more like fitness yoga. So you can do that. Um, and you can catch me on Instagram as well. Not Instagram, sorry, on uh, Facebook, The Natural Balance, and YouTube as well. I've got my yoga videos on there if you want to do some yoga. Um, but yeah, any questions, always just drop me a message. Perfect. Absolutely smashed that, honestly. I'll get this <laughs> sent to you. Watch it back. You've absolutely nailed it. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> Cheers, Good luck to you. Well, Say, nice to with you. Yeah, always. Say I do to Rich as well. I will Big do. Up the man. Big up. Bye. Peace. Bye. Bye-bye. There you are. Wow. Incredible bits of information there on uh, natural balance of nutrition and some practices for us to uh, involve in our diet. That's the end of the chat. I've got about 30 seconds and I'm going to be coming straight back with the one and only Stephanie Hurst. So make sure you do join me for that chat here on Loose Lips. Peace and light to you and yours.